Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. And check out that groove. It just flows. Like liquid. Coincidentally, that is the name of the regulated fiat to crypto exchange that our next guest, Mr. Mike Kaitermori, is CEO and founder of. So I'm excited to get into that conversation about regulated exchanges and liquid. But before we go into that conversation, please go to Crypto101Podcast.com. There you can join our social medias, our Facebook, our Twitter, our Instagram. Sign up to keep up to date what's going on in the Crypto 101 world or talk to people about the 101s of crypto. Also, send us an email. Questions, comments, criticisms, all are welcome. Go to iTunes, subscribe, rate us, and leave us a comment. It helps us stay visible. You can listen to us as well on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, or anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts. And finally, think about becoming a patron. Patrons, thank you very much for being a patron for the past year. And now, without further ado, here is Mike Cardamari, CEO and founder of Coin and Liquid. We will see you after the show. Mike Karamori, CEO and co-founder of Liquid Exchange. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thank you. Mike, if you could, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, thank you for inviting me. First and foremost, my name is Mike Kayamori. I'm the co-founder, CEO of Coin. We operate a global fiat crypto exchange called Liquid. So a little bit of, of myself. I was born in Japan, educated in the U.S., went back to Japan for undergrad and went to the Harvard Business School in the U.S. So I think I have the kind of the interesting background of experience in both the Western world and the Asian world. Mm. And after graduating from undergrad, I worked for a Japanese traditional conglomerate called Mitsubishi. This is an investment and um, trading company. And then went to business school and joined a venture capital firm. And that was when I first came across Bitcoin. So this was 2010. So a year after the Satoshi white paper or the Bitcoin white paper came out, the first wave of Bitcoin came through Silicon Valley, and I was in Silicon Valley, a junior partner there, looking for new opportunities and new technology and emerging trends. And that was when Bitcoin first came. It was digital money. It was the future of finance. It was dizzy cash and all these things. And I was immediately intrigued and interested. The problem was there was no place to buy. You either had to mine it yourself or had to find, go through the web. There was no Coinbase, there was no legitimate exchange to buy Bitcoin. And at the time, it was only Bitcoin. There was mm -hmm. no other crypto token out there. So that was 2010. And fast forward to 2013, because I left the VC firm to join SoftBank. So SoftBank, as you know, is an investment internet conglomerate. And I was in charge of SoftBank Asia. So I went to Singapore, I was in charge of India, Indonesia, Southeast Asia, all joint ventures, investments, partnerships. And while I was still at SoftBank, the second wave of cryptocurrency came. And that was when the price of Bitcoin became $1,000 in China. And people were, again, talking about it as the future of money. And with the smartphone and a wallet, it was financial freedom. So this was 13, 2013. And I knew at that time that cryptocurrency was here to stay. So I decided to, um, I met my co-founder in Singapore as well. He was the CTO of Credit Suisse Asia, where he built exchanges. So he built commodity exchanges, fixed income bond exchanges, and Forex exchanges. And this is and, Mario? Yeah, this is Mario. And we knew that the future of banking and finance was going to be very different. It was going to be all digital and the traditional way of doing business in a highly regulated financial industry was going to be completely disrupted by cryptocurrency. And, and that led to our co-founding the company together in 2014. The other thing was there was still no credible exchange to buy Bitcoin. Mt. Gox was there, but if you look at social media and mm -hmm. bulletin boards, they were already having difficulties with withdrawals. Right. So we knew that there needed to be a safe and secure credible exchange built by bankers and that was what mario brought 
And we launched in the summer of 2014, we launched um, CoinX. And this was the first crypto fiat exchange out of Southeast Asia. We started in Singapore. With CoinX, were you doing the Asian currencies to CoinX or was it US dollars or pound or what was your fiat to crypto exchange currency? Yeah, so with Mario building FX exchanges in the past, so we immediately launched with, I think, five or six um, fiat currencies, USD, obviously, JPY, Singapore dollar, okay. renminbi, Australian dollar, oh, renminbi euro. Too. Yes, we, we had all of those. Oh, wow. Because as you know, in 2014, there was still no Ethereum. There was still, it was only Bitcoin and maybe like Litecoin was there right. or something like that. So there, there was no need for a crypto only exchange. People wanted to buy Bitcoin, but the only way to buy it was through fiat currency. Mm-hmm. So we had to have like USD or SGD or JPY. You're in Singapore right now. You went, you're born in Japan, went to school in the United States. I've been in Asia, as the listeners know, for about 15 years. When it comes to blockchain, people's ideas of maybe the future or the technology, what do you find the differences are between the West and the East? Well, so I think they're essentially the same except for one thing. So I think in the Western world, they look at blockchain as an application to build services on top of it. That's similar in Asia as well. But one more thing that is very different is in Asia, they look at cryptocurrency more as a financial asset class, as an investment as well. Right. So, for example, when you live in the U.S., the U.S. dollar is the global currency. It's the dominant currency that is used for international settlements, trade finance and everything that when you need a trusted currency, U.S. dollar is. Well, when you go to Asia, which predominantly like export, import, manufacturing, and you always look at your goods through an exchange and you always need to settle between your national currency and U.S. dollar, Forex is much more closer to the individual than when you live in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And people know, like, is your Taiwan dollar stronger versus the USD? Right. If you live in Singapore, how is your Singapore dollar um, exchange rate compared to the U.S. dollar? Similar to all countries um, outside of the U.S. And to them, like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was much more natural to embrace because it was an extension of a fiat currency. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, the the acceptance, uh, the willing to embrace, embrace Bitcoin and cryptocurrency was much higher in Asia, and especially in Japan, where re- traditional retail effects, Japan is the largest in the world. Mm-hmm. So from a Japanese user perspective, trading JPY and USD was very similar to trading Bitcoin JPY. Do you feel that the East is quicker to embrace new technology or new ideas than the West? I'm not sure about when you look at technology or innovation, Historically, it would always come from the U.S. or Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. right? So when I look at that from a blockchain application perspective, many of the larger protocols for companies do start from the Western world. But for these, when you look at decentralized application in blockchain, that's not always the case. Um, when you look at traditional technology companies, all like GAFA, right? Google, Amazon, um, Facebook, Apple. All of these guys, they're almost all located in the West Coast, right? But when you look at crypto and blockchain, the beauty is that it's it's global from day one. Right. And um, for innovation surrounding um, blockchain and cryptocurrency, this is going to be global now. And that's the beauty of crypto and blockchain. Mike, if we can just take a quick shift, and I want to go through the history and maybe the evolution of the decentralized exchange and the centralized exchange to what maybe Liquid is doing right now, which is a centralized regulated exchange. So if we could, could we just do a 101? What is a decentralized exchange and what is a centralized exchange? Yeah, so a decentralized exchange, I think you've made it clear, is the matching engine is peer-to-peer, right? The customer owns their own funds. The responsibility of the key management is up to the end customer, 
right? So all of these are happening in a decentralized manner. Um, who provides that service and all the regulatory elements? We can put that aside for a second. A centralized exchange is a centralized order book. It will have a full price ladder where everybody comes in in a centralized order book and your assets are managed and custodial um, from a service provider. Uh, the service provider will manage the wallets. So on a high level, that's the difference between a decentralized exchange and a centralized exchange. So when it comes to controlling your funds, your private keys, let's say, what are the difference between, say, a decentralized exchange and a centralized exchange having that custodial service? Yes, for a decentralized exchange, you will need to manage your, your assets, you'll need to manage your keys, and it will be up to you. After the order is executed and it's filled, there's going to be an atomic swap, and the settlement will happen in a decentralized manner. And that's the beauty of a decentralized exchange. While a centralized exchange, you're already pre-funded. You have your own account. It's pre-funded with either your fiat or crypto. And by the way, once you have fiat, it becomes difficult to do a fully decentralized exchange, right? Because the fiat settlement will not happen real time. So it's it's decentralized exchange are more for crypto only. Um, so going back to centralized, your assets, whether if it's fiat currency or cryptocurrency, will be managed by the service provider. And whether if it's managed in a hot wallet or a cold wallet, or a warm wallet, um, that will be what the service provider will be responsible of. So when the order is executed and filled and when the settlement happens, the exchange takes care of that based on the permission of the end customer. So some examples of a decentralized decentralized exchange would be, say, IDEX, and a centralized exchange would be Binance, Coinbase, HitBTC, Bittrex, Poloniex, and, and those guys. What is the difference between, say, a centralized exchange and what you're doing, a regulated centralized exchange? Yeah, so I, I, I step back a little bit. In the world of crypto, whether you are a centralized exchange or a decentralized exchange, it's going to be regulated. So there's not the, to me, there's not going to be an option. You mean in the future? Yes, in the future. Well, it's happening now. For example, okay. in Japan, every service provider and exchange will need to be regulated, right? And it's mm -hmm. happening. It's happening global. When you think about it, when you manage billions of dollars of customers' assets, you will be regulated. It's it's not a it's not an option where hey, I want to be a a regulated exchange or not. The customer's asset under management is bigger than almost any other asset class, mm -hmm. right? So that means governments and regulators will not let that be an unregulated market. Is it possible to regulate a decentralized exchange? Of course, right? So that's where, again, it will go into the de definition and a lot of people could potentially argue. But if you administer that exchange or if you manage that decentralized exchange, that means you are responsible for that decentralized exchange. Are you building that code? Are you managing it? Are you taking fees? Even if you don't manage customers' assets, if you manage that platform, governments and regulators will define that as an exchange that is managed, operated, administered by that, that company. Mm -hmm. right? So then that will be subject to regulation. That's right. how I look at it. So what does a regulated exchange mean? So let's put this into context. Is Binance regulated? No. Is Bittrex regulated? I think it is in the process of. Okay. So what is the difference between what you're going to do and say Binance hit BTC? First and foremost, if you go, and I'm not going to mention individual exchanges, okay. but when you look at, when you sign up for a service or an exchange, what is their KYC process? What are their AML policies? What are their suspicious trading monitoring systems? Who are the management team? Where is the company located? What jurisdiction do they operate under? What are the licenses that they have? How do they manage customer asset segregation? So all of these things, if it is operating under a regulation will be clear and upfront with their customers. Like when you select an exchange that has no clarity 
or that does not disclose those things, that's not a regulated exchange, right? And you might be able to get away with that um, for the time being and say, hey, we're offshore, we're decentralized, our organization is distributed. I'm not sure if that's how the regulators look at. And I look at when, and also when you look at regulators, there's regulators in these like global economic powerhouses, like the G3, G7, G20. Like US will be there, Japan will be there, UK and other markets will right. be these global economic powerhouses. Right. Then there's other countries that are a little more lean on regulation and some jurisdiction that might be open to those. Right. But when I look at the crypto industry growing up and going mainstream, I look at markets that have regulation mm -hmm. that are economic global powerhouses. And that's our approach. What would be the difference between being regulated or what are the problems and what can we look for as customers and, and advantages for customers to a regulated exchange opposed to somebody that's doing it, say, a little Wild West still? Yeah, so it's an interesting question. And again, it's difficult to explain that within a 10-minute or 30-minute time frame. But if you are a regulated exchange, there are many things that are based to protect customers' assets based on the regulation, right? Providing statutory reports, right? Um, there's over 30 types of reports that we um, give to the regulators, to our customers, statements, and all these things. And these are all based on local regulation. Um, and local regulation also includes tax authorities, police, and all these things. And you need to comply with these because from a government or regulatory perspective, it's all about protecting the customer, right? And I think the point is, for example, if I'm regulated in Japan, I need to have all of those in place. What are the things around price manipulation? What are things about the reports that are necessary, suspicious transaction monitoring? There's all these things that come in. And if we want the industry to go mainstream, for example, in Japan, you have to be a regulated exchange. And you can make that distinction between how is the difference between regulated in, for example, Malta, different from regulated in the US or Japan. And I believe that there's a big difference. What financial market has been led where the regulatory is from, for example, Malta or CESA from the Philippines or Panama or Puerto Rico? Does that exert confidence to the investors and traders that, yes, crypto is going mainstream? Malta is spearheading the crypto regulation, and we're confident that that is the most progressive regulation, and it's going to bring crypto credibility to the mainstream. Again, it's up to discussion. Uh, but from our perspective, because we're located in Japan, because we work with governments and regulators, that we work with these global economic powerhouses, um, because they look at crypto in a similar way as other financial assets. And we, we will comply with that. I don't want to keep beating the whole regulation thing, but I'm still trying to figure out how is the consumer going to know about that uh, different regulations? For example, is it transparent? Do they just look at your website? Do they ask you for, hey, can you show me what you're or filing with the Japanese government or the regulatory boards? How would they tell the difference between the, the unregulated exchanges and the ones that are supposed to have more confidence, as you said, for the consumers because they're following the regulatory practices of, say, a G3, G5, G7? Yes, exactly. It all starts with the website, right? Because you are required to disclose what jurisdictions you're operating in. And if there's a registration number or a license number, you disclose that. So there's all these measures and disclosure requirements based on regulation that you need to provide. So it's, it's actually very easy and obvious for a customer to come in and see, okay, where is this service located? Under what license do we operate? What are the things that happen if I want to 
ask that local regulation if it's properly operated or not. And all those things will need to be disclosed in, in the website and their corporate page as well. And all of these things are there. Even when you want to trade equities or commodities, when you go to any website, it has which jurisdiction, what license number, what registration number. If something happens, you can contact, for example, in the Japan, the Japan Financial Service Agency. It has all of these things there. Um, and if it doesn't, that means it's not regulated, right? So it will be up to the customer's decision. Do I want to go with an unregulated exchange or do I want to go with a regulated exchange? It will be up to the customer. Let's go into a little bit about how your exchange works. There's something that your staff told me about while we were having our pre-interview meeting is they talked about this world book. Can you go through a little bit about what using your exchange is going to be like and how it differs from some of, some of the exchanges that are out there right now? Yeah, so I don't know all the other exchanges out there, but when it was Bitcoin only or Ethereum or a few others, it was okay. Every exchange had the same currency pair. And whether if you had liquidity or not was up to the size of that exchange. But in a world where everything is becoming tokenized, when there's over 2,000 odd unique tokens out there and you have a certain token and you want to sell it or buy it at a certain price, uh, when there's no liquidity, unfortunately, you can't you cannot sell or buy it. And, and that's going to be a big problem. Um, and it's a problem for the industry itself. And it's not only for the crypto industry. It's a challenge for all financial services, where if you don't have liquidity, it's not financially viable to manage or, or operate in a matter. Because mm -hmm. if a sudden something happens, if you want to sell it, you can't. Or if you want to buy it, you can't. That really defeats the purpose. Um, so from that perspective, no one exchange can say, hey, I have the liquidity of every liquidity in the world. That said, there are liquidity spotted in certain um, regions. Like for example, in Japan, when you look at Ethereum or XRP and JPY, liquidity mm -hmm. is there, but all the, all the other, and Bitcoin, obviously Bitcoin JPY is one of the most liquid exchanges in the world. Mm -hmm. um, currency pairs or trading pairs in the world, but you might not have the other tokens because all the other tokens need to be approved um, under the Japan FSA. Mm -hmm. So these exist um, globally, it's scattered, right? So there's two ways. So we we initially had a crypto fiat exchange called CoinEx. We have we also had a crypto only exchange um, called Cryptos. We've consolidated all of that into one trading platform, from ICO to secondary listing and trading. So we've cons and fiat and crypto only all of this into one consolidated platform. Mm -hmm. um, and based on your profile and policies, there's things that you can do. Right. So for some people, they can participate in ICOs, but other people from other, for example, jurisdiction cannot participate. And these are all based on um, policy. Okay. Right. So that's our consolidated platform. Within this platform, we have um, a technology that allows this world book. And in the world book, there's the internal world book and an external one. Right. So the external one is quite easy. It's connecting other exchanges to bring in those liquidity into our exchange. So we partner with many other exchanges. The challenge is you're also taking on the counterparty risk of these exchanges. So mm -hmm. the exchanges that you can work with actually becomes a handful of exchanges and we work with exchanges that are regulated. Mm -hmm. So that's the external side. But the bigger one is internal. So for example, if you're from Taiwan, right, and you wanna buy Bitcoin, but unfortunately, the Bitcoin Taiwan dollar liquidity is not there. But then there's a seller in Japan that is willing to sell Bitcoin in JPY. Mm -hmm. So that means it's same Bitcoin, but the seller and buyer are in different fiat. For this, we use a real-time exchange engine between the Taiwan dollar and the JP Japanese yen. Mm. Right. So a Japanese seller and a Taiwanese buyer will be able to match. And at the at the back end, we do real time foreign exchange so that it's a seamless um, executed order. Right. So that means as long as people want to buy or sell Bitcoin, 
the quote currency, which is the fiat currency, can be agnostic. No one in the world does that. So this way, the internal world book connects all of our customers from any jurisdiction as long as we can um, exchange real time the fiat currency pair. So which means our exchange from a fiat side is fiat agnostic. Our next version is going to be crypto agnostic. What does that mean? So, for example, if someone in Singapore wants to buy Ethereum in SGD, someone in Europe wants to sell Bitcoin in Euro. So, as I explained before, the fiat side, we can, we can exchange real time. On the crypto side, we also have Bitcoin Ethereum as a trading pair, right? So, real time, we can convert Ethereum into Bitcoin. So which makes crypto agnostic as well. So that means we can potentially expand this to other crypto tokens as well. So within the internal order book, it will become fiat agnostic and crypto agnostic, which allows the liquidity to flow through as a multi-market order. So that's the beauty of the internal world book. And we've launched the version one of that. So version two, hopefully um, we'll launch um, next year. So that's the internal order book. And in addition to that, we connect uh, with external exchanges, which will even further um, make our liquidity and order book thicker. So in a nutshell, that's how the liquid platform works. Hey, everyone, I am super excited to tell you this special news. Crypto 101 wrote a book. It's called Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency. And in this book, we follow an old friend of ours, Johnny, who has been popping up in episodes over the past year to get the 101s on technology, terminology, and blockchain. And in this book, he goes through everything a noob might need to know about getting into crypto. From the FOMO, the FUD, the 14 stages of emotions, the terminology, the technology, and it's all wrapped up in an amazing story following Johnny, his family, and his friends. It's not a boring read, and it's for everyone, for your kids, for your parents, for yourself. So please keep an eye open for Johnny's Guide to Cryptocurrency coming the beginning of November so you can pick it up for your family, your friends for Christmas. It's a great read, but you don't have to take my word for it. Now, back to the show. So we have more liquidity. We're able to match liquidity. We're able to reach across to different exchanges, regulated exchanges, as you noted, uh, to pull from their resources. Hey, you know what? There's nobody trading Bitcoin around Taiwan or Taiwan to Bitcoin uh, pairs. Let's get that Japanese yen or the Singapore dollar. Correct. It, it's it seems as though, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just trying to you know get red flags uh, and not uh, attack, but just red flags and understand it a little differently. If there are say bad actors that have coins or have companies that raise, let's say, a, a buttload of ICO money, let's just say 250 million or something like that, and they want to liquidate it, they want to put it on exchange, and now they have the ability to you know. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Eufy Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recorded. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. 
What I love about this product is it's truly all-in-one with the three-in-one. You don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We just reach across these regulated exchanges and just dump. What is the due diligence process from your company to put coins onto the exchange? And how much responsibility does say regulated exchanges not just you but regulated exchanges have to make sure that there are no bad actors taking advantage of the system yes so for example japanese regulators um, work with an sro um, self-regulated organization which are approved by the regulator so it's an association that will essentially whitelist the crypto tokens that can be offered on exchanges. So that's what's happening in Japan. When you look at the US and when you look at these regulated exchanges, they don't offer a lot of crypto token pairs, right? When you look at Coinbase, Gemini, uh, Circle and others, right? So as a regulated exchanges, it's a slow process where the regulators need to be confident the underlying token is credible and it's safe from a, a trading perspective. Right. So past that, when there's hundreds and thousands of tokens based on good practices and also a combination of both good and best practices, we have a rigorous approval process where we disclose what we look into. Right. With proper white paper, with a proper legal opinion, with codes reviewed, we look at GitHub management team, all these things in order to approve a listing of a token. We can control what is listed on our platform. We can't control what is listed on other exchanges. There are other exchanges that will just immediately list tokens or list tokens that issuers are willing to pay high listing fees. So there's no standard um, exchanges that are geographically extended across the world. Within Japan, under a regulated body, the tokens that are listed are approved or it needs to go through the process of these regulatory association. So it is very difficult. I would say, especially global, there, there are a lot of um, these pump and dump that are happening, which is hurting the end customer. Right. Well, it's hurting the market. It's hurting the, the space. It's hurting the credibility of all of us that are trying to do some a, a little bit of good here. Yes. What coins or digital assets are being traded on Liquid right now? So we have about, I think, close to 90 tokens mm -hmm. that are traded. All that happened through our approval process. So we've almost had minimal problems in terms of the listed tokens where it turned out to be a scam or that their smart contract was um, vulnerable, that it was stolen, or there's there were issues. So on other exchanges, uh, as you've seen over the past year, there's been a lot of cases with the tokens that were listed. We have almost none of those. There are cases where the token issuer, unfortunately, even with their efforts, best efforts, that they were not able to deliver the product or the progress has stalled. So the price of the token has gone down, but nothing in terms of fraud or scam on 
the tokens that are listed on our exchange. I'm not sure how it is in other exchanges. Mm -hmm. So basically, you have a due diligence process to get coins or tokens listed on your exchange, but some of that process falls into the regulatory administration of the country that you're in. Exactly. And for example, in Japan, it's not only the onboarding of new tokens, it's monitoring the progress. Mm -hmm. So we will probably implement quarterly updates from the token issuers on the progress of their platform or their protocol. What do you do if you find out somebody might be dishonest with you or somebody's just, you know, basically trying to scam the market? They raised maybe a lot of ICO money trying to get listed on an exchange. They want to pump their coins so they can dump it as the founders. If you get wind of that, what would you do? Well, we will immediately delist. Right. So there were cases where um, there was a fallout between the co-founders. And the co-founder that left managed the keys and he started selling on our platform, right? So there were these cases. So when we detect those, we suspend uh, the token, we get to the bottom of it and we delist those. Mm -hmm. So all of these things as an exchange, we look at it as our fiduciary responsibility that these tokens that are listed are credible, continues to disclose material information and progress to the, the users and the market. And if, it, if that doesn't happen, we take the necessary measures. We also, as an exchange, we can monitor where there's movements that look irregular. We look at those as well. I think this is all going into security and safety. I had Ray Redacted on the show the other day, and we did a Security 101 for Cybersecurity Month, which is October. So it's only fitting that we talk a little bit about security. He said on my show that it isn't if you will get hacked, it's when. So with that in mind, when your exchange gets hacked, as it will indefinitely what safety precautions do you have in place for your customers? And if funds are stolen, as we just saw a couple of weeks or a month ago from Japan, another J Japanese exchange got hacked. $54 million is gone. How do you protect people's funds? So the definition of hacked is quite interesting. We always are attacked or hacked. Like when we launched Liquid, um, I think this was the first week of September, that weekend, over a 24-hour time period, we had 320,000 attacks. Holy shit. Yes. <laughs> and for that week, it came, a lot of that came from Turkey, right? So these things, it's, it's on an average, we have 40,000 on average, right? So it happens at the network level. It happens at the product level. It happens at the operational level. All of these things, we assume that we are under attack or hack every day, every single moment, especially when our operations are thin because our services are 24 seven, 365. I look at hacking or uh, cyber attacks as an incurable cancer, right? You come up with a new medicine, then the hackers get better. It's a continuous thing. What we put on is it's we, we try to manage it from a tool technology perspective, but we also do it from an operational perspective. There's no one vulnerability from one team or one senior member. We assume that there is social engineering where people's accounts or credentials are stolen as well. And that's why we do 100% cold wallet. Again, that's not a cure for all. And it, we can do that because we're not a payments company, right? So we process customer withdrawals twice a day, but it's not real time because we, we do all cold wallet. Um, for tokens and wallets that have multi-sig, we implement multi-sig as well. Um, and we verify, we, we don't allow API-based withdrawals. We mandate everybody to log into our GUI and do a crypto withdrawal. We mandate customers to have two-factor authentication, and these uh, two-factor cannot be SMS-based. It has to be um, hardware such as Google Authenticator. So we put all these measures in. We have a private server so that we don't use a generic server base. So all these things are the measures that we put in as an exchange. Obviously, with new tracking and monitoring systems, we, we always look ways to improve. And that's how we look at safety and security as our single, um, that will keep me up at night. 
all these things go into managing a credible, safe, and secure exchange. So, but that goes still back to the, the original question. When Binance was hacked and something happened with Sia Coin uh, back like four or five months ago, mm -hmm. uh, CZ was very quick to go on Twitter and say, don't worry about it. We got this. Your funds are safe. And they have backup plans and uh, SAFU is what they call it, you know, for funds to secure your funds. Uh, when the Japanese exchange was hacked uh, about six months ago, and they took, I think it was 90 million or 100 million dollars of, I can't remember which coin, but they said they're going to return 90% of everything that was stolen to the customer. What are some, what are the, what's, I know it's a case by case basis, but what is your idea of good customer service when it comes to a hack Customers' funds being stolen, which, like you said, your, your cold storage is not going there real time. It is, it's twice a day or what have you. So there's definitely going to be funds in there somebody could take. What happens when somebody takes it? So it will be taken from an outside, right? Because we're 100% cold wallet, cold storage, right? So you're now talking about operationally, do you believe like the management team or the people who do the multi-sig? Was that your question? No, I'm, right? my, my question is... So it, it will never touch a hot wallet. Okay, my, my question is, is your, the exchange will get hacked and people's funds could get taken. If, so there's, so you're, you're, you're telling me with the cold storage and your, what you just said, there is no possibility for a Japanese situation where $54 million of funds is taken from your exchange. That was a hot wallet. Okay. Right? And, so okay. For, if you have multi-sig cold wallet where if it's 100% cold wallet, it never goes online where you physically need to like move the, for example, the USB or the data where it never touches online. The online element is mitigated, right? But then the question will be, what's your operational methods to prevent someone stealing in-house, right? Mm -hmm. And those are things that even if you're a hot wallet, like on a, like a lot of the cases, there's operational things that go, go on. Like suppliers, vendors, your 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 management team, your co-founders. So we make sure that there's no single point of mm -hmm. vulnerability uh, in multiple layers. I think the case, for example, with other exchanges, or let's put it this way, if you are a regulated exchange, if something happens, if an incident ha happens in your exchange, you are required to report that to the regulators, mm -hmm. right? So there's an initial report, and then there's an ongoing report, there's a assessment report, and then there's like a improvement report. There's multiple reports that you will need to provide to regulators. I'm not sure what Binance's requirement was to, you can always say, hey, you guys are safe. Have they disclosed that to the regulators? And the regulators do an inspection. That's why it's difficult to go into individual exchanges. Right, right. Right. But for example, in regulated exchanges like Japan, like people might think, why are these Japanese exchanges being hacked? But I would assume there's a lot of other exchanges globally that are attacked, but they're not disclosing it properly. It's very difficult. Um, but, but that said, a lot of exchanges look at ways to, if those things happen, do they have a reserve fund? Right? Do they have a rainy day fund or something? When these things happen, you can compensate. Right. So there's many ways to look at it. But when you're going to compensate, that means you need to charge these uh, fees or insurance or custodial services. There's many ways to protect customers' assets where, for example, we are working with one of the largest trust banks in Japan mm -hmm. to segregate not only customers' fiat, but also customers' crypto. So those are things that are coming into place. And the, for example, the regulators and these associations are looking into, should we mandate that? Or should it be the discretion of the exchanges? But I think that's the benefit to the customers when regulators come in and say, hey, are you doing proper customer asset segregation? Do we know, for example, if Binance does customer asset segregation? I actually don't know because I haven't. So I actually don't look look into other specific exchanges, but we are required by Japanese law to do customer asset segregation. And for example, in the next iteration, we will work with like trust banks in Japan that will take on that um, trust or custodial asset of the customer's crypto as well. So these things will start to be implemented to 
make crypto trading mainstream. You know, I, I, I guess what I was looking for and, you know, when you're operating with a bank and I know that there's a lot of different systems that you put in place to minimize the risk of your customers as well as the risk of you and your exchange. Um, but I guess what I was looking for is a confirmation. Let me frame this a little bit is when we're talking about exchange and crypto exchanges, I think that we are all scared. We've all been scared for many years now. Mark Gox has, you know, put the hand of God, the, the fire, the fury in us that says you could get everything wiped out and gone and taken uh, if, if something goes wrong. And then periodically we see an exchange hacked for, you know, millions of dollars here, millions of dollars there, or right. some something internal with the exchange where, the, you know, the founder, the, the, the marketing director runs off with their wallet that because we found mm -hmm. that it was only in a USB in the drawer in the CEO's desk. So they just unlocked it and ran away. You know, I guess what we're looking for as a community is exchanges to have something that says, if we get hacked you will be compensated or reimbursed like a bank an fdic you know it's only a hundred thousand dollars you know so if you have more than a hundred thousand dollars you better manage your funds a little bit but that's at least says hey if we're robbed or your money's gone or something happens we're insured you are protected to an extent what is the protection besides practices that you put internally for the customer that says hey your funds are safe you're trading a hundred thousand dollars of bitcoin in 24 hours every day on our exchange if something happens, if it's internal or external, we got your back. You got that hundred thousand. Yes. So FDIC is possible because you're regulated, right? Yes, it's only a hundred k. But if you're unregulated, like a bank, and then you're not part of the FDIC network, then you're not protected. A bank can say, "Hey, you're protected. You're protected." But as it turns out, that's only the bank saying it. No, no financial service is immune or can commit and say that your your assets are safe. Look at Lehman, look at all these things that happened um, during the global financial crisis, True. right? So when companies or exchanges say, hey, your assets are completely safe, you it's either you do believe or do you trust that institution or service provider. And unfortunately, the trust will finish or is up to the service provider saying it. As a regulated exchange, what we need to do is our customers' assets in our database must match the customers' assets on the blockchain. Mm -hmm. It always have to be the same every day, right? And if it's not the same, like because it's it's like moving or it's in transit, we need to report that to the regulators. Like th those are all the things that regulators put in and require to protect the end customer. But does that protect 100% of the customers of 100% of their assets? That's not the case. So that's why the regulators are also saying for fiat currency, use another a custodial service, which is not you, that will put custody of customers fiat. And then there's these providers who are doing custodial services for crypto as well. Mm -hmm. right? So and these are third party custodial service providers and large banks. That's where the industry or regulated industry is moving towards. Before we go into general questions, is there anything else you want to say and highlight about Liquid? We're one of the very few crypto fiat exchanges. There's a lot of responsibility that comes with operating and managing crypto fiat exchanges. And that's the overhead. That's the necessary cost that we are taking because we want to bring crypto mainstream. When you go to our website, we disclose all of the uh, policies and the licenses and the registrations that we have. We disclose our team, our management team, everything. Um, in order for our end customers to feel safe and secure in trading on regulated exchanges. So when you want to trade on exchanges, your hard-earned money and trade on exchanges, we believe we bring the most comfort because we comply and we take all the necessary measures that regulators and governments mandate financial services to do. And we want to comply with the US, we want to comply with Japan, we want to comply with Singapore, all the big global economic nations, um, we comply with these markets. So if customers want to trust a service provider with their hard earned cash to 
trade or buy um, cryptocurrencies, we believe we are one of the preferred places um, for people to trade in. In the space, who is somebody you respect, look up to, or follow? Uh, and I ask that question, so if basically if they're on CNN or they're tweeting something or if they write a blog post, who is that one person that you always stop and go, let's see what they have to say? So we've been in this business for about four and a half years. There's been exchanges that come and go. During this time, there's only a few exchanges that have had staying power. And for example, I look at exchanges like Coinbase. They are regulated in the world's largest financial industry in the U.S., um, they comply. Um, they put all the necessary measures in. So from that perspective, I look at Coinbase as um, a peer, someone in this industry that is trying to make crypto mainstream. Um, co companies like Gemini as well, Bitstamp. I look at regulated exchanges who are trying to make crypto mainstream. Regarding individuals, I actually look at VCs who look at crypto and blockchain and how can this make impact in the real world, like Andreessen Horowitz, a VC, and Mark Andreessen. That inspired me to come into the crypto space. So um, these are people I, I, Fred Wilson, these are people I follow and look at um, in terms of crypto and blockchain. What about the, for the rumors? If you were just wanting to see the total like market, uh, the, the, the vibe, the average consumer, who would you be listening to? Would you be following somebody on, on Twitter? Or do you usually try to stay out of the mainstream FOMO FUD when Moon sort of speak? We, we are customer centric. We hear and listen to our customers. So we, we, we look into our Telegram community. So we look at all these media. We look at everywhere to make sure that we have the pulse, that we provide what the customers want. But at the same time, customers want real-time withdrawals until they're hacked, right? So when you really look at a customer's perspective, safety should come first. But until they realize that their assets are, are stolen or something happens, um, they look at convenience and utility first, right? So there's a balance between what we believe is right for our customer and what the customer believes is right for them until something bad happens. So there's a little bit of a dilemma that we always struggle in order to provide the best customer service. Actually, I'm just looking at the 24-hour trading volume right now. You and Gemini have the same trading volume, by the way. That's interesting because we're always about 5x more than they are. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, well, I'm sorry then. <laughs> No, no. So it's, I it's apologize for the bad bad news. <laughs> oh no, no, not at all. So, for example, we don't have a lot of altcoins as a regulated exchange. Right? I mean, on the crypto only side, yes. But if I look at when, especially when people look at the flight to safety, right? Where the market cap of Bitcoin is now, I think, over fifty percent of the entire crypto market cap. Mm -hmm. Right. So I look at coin market cap, and I look at, for example, Bitcoin. And then I look at the exchange volume within Bitcoin. And then within the uh, exchange volume of Bitcoin, I look at the ones that offer fiat, right? So not, not the USD Tether or any of those. So for example, I just refreshed the Bitcoin markets and we're, we're number eight there, BTCJPY, okay. right? So the ones above us are USDT, USDT, and, and, and others. So when you look at pure crypto fiat exchange, we're up there, right? So I, I look at, I don't know where Gemini is. You need to compare apples to apples. I look at markets that are crypto and fiat. And um, that's, that's how I look at it because the market is still, it's not a level playing field. There's a lot of crypto only exchanges. There's a lot of offshore exchanges. I look at right, right now, the KPI that I look at and I share with our, within our company and our customers is Bitcoin fiat. There's a lot of projects that are coming out. There's the Ethereum killers, there's sharding, there's uh, you know the dApps that are being made on the Ethereum platform. ERC20 tokens are getting phased out and you know more different tokens are being built on the Ethereum network. They're talking about sharding on the Ethereum network. You have regulated exchanges, there's the DEX. There's so many projects in the crypto space right now. What project do you think is going to be the one that is inspiring you in the future? All these projects make me proud. It's still very early in the crypto blockchain space. 
there's going to be technology advancement when there's a lot of people competing to provide the next relevant technology or service. Obviously, on a protocol level or a, from a consensus algo level, it needs to be much better. The throughput, the transactions per second, that's going to improve, whether if that's going to be Ethereum or the next generation Ethereum or Hashgraph or Tendermint or any of these. But I think what's going to be important is real world applications. Mm -hmm. right? Can this Amen. really be used in payments or right. can this be used for supply chain? Can this be used for trade finance? Can this be used for voting, right? So there's there's many things. I was just, I was speaking at the World Economic Forum and people were excited about potentially ending, not I wouldn't say ending hunger, but making it more efficient to give food and reliefs in countries where there's no more government ID, when they're like with, with the refugee camps where you can't prove where you're coming from. So all of these things using biometrics and blockchain where national databases are gone and corrupt. These real world applications are exciting. And when these things come, that's when crypto will go mainstream. So obviously I look at it two figures. One is because right now crypto is looked as a new financial asset class, it's going to be regulated. There's no option. It's not like I want to be regulated or I don't want to be regulated. It's mm -hmm. going to be regulated. Mm -hmm. So there's three governing bodies that you will never get away with. One is the regulators who regulate. One is the tax authorities. They will not let you go. <laughs> and the third is the police. Right. So I want to work with them. I don't want to. No, I don't want to be it's probably smart to work with them. Yeah. <laughs> yes. As an exchange, I want to sleep at night. We don't want to be financial fugitives or nomads. So that's on the regulatory side. The equally important is real world applications. And that's going to happen within the next three to five years. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really going to make crypto and blockchain mainstream. It's, it's an amazingly exciting period right now. The financial investment and speculation is kind of ahead of that curve right now. But when real real world applications come, that's when it's really going to go mainstream. If this was the first podcast, somebody just getting into the space heard because Crypto 101 is positioned to be the 101 from everything from trading to ideas to new exchanges that are coming out on the market. If this person was just getting into the market right now and heard you, what would you want them to know? I would say cryptocurrency and blockchain is the future. Everything is going digital. Banking, financial services is going digital and everything is going mobile as well. So as part of coming into this world, the only way to really go in is to try yourself. So sign up with an exchange that you feel confident. I, won't, I, I would recommend us, but I will say do your own due diligence. Look at an exchange that you feel comfortable in trusting your hard-earned money to come into the space and then start trading a few. Even start participating in a few ICOs only with the resources or the money that you're willing to potentially lose. Don't bet your house or any of these things. Just make sure and try it out because I'm a believer and that's why I've been in this space for the past four years that this is the future. This is how finance and banking is going to be disrupted and it's still very early. So let's try it out and first have a little bit of skin in the game and then see how it goes. Mike, thank you very much for coming on Crypto 101. Excellent. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Mike, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming on the show. And just to let you know, all Crypto 101 listeners can receive a $10 airdrop by using Liquid. Simply sign into liquid.com, use our referral link, verify your account, and trade over 100 bucks on your first trade to receive the airdrop. You will receive 10 bucks equivalent in Liquid's utility token, cash. And like always, check out ApogeeCrypto.com. That's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com. The best place for your real-time prices if you use CoinMarketCap. Check out Apogee. And if you love reading about crypto news, check out CryptoNews.com. In our next episode of Crypto 101, we have on Mr. Rong Chen for Computer 101. Man, I'm excited about that. We'll see you in that episode.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic, but today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.